You're about to listen to an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. It is not to be confused with a legal investigation. Opinions expressed are solely those of the participants. The following contains adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. For the third episode, I'm associate producer Mike Friend in the studio with Kimberly Lowe to talk about just how the Missing Molly series came about. So exactly why did you decide to make a podcast out of uh, this event? Well, to put it simply, I was fascinated by this case the first time I heard about it. It's one of the oddest things that I ever heard of, and it was local, too. Several people that I knew wanted to know what happened, and there was a lot of misinformation that I wanted to clear up, such as the mistaken belief that Molly Miller had cancer and died of either a drug overdose or an overdose of crotum. Uh, People asked me if I had an agenda or if I made any money, and the answer to both is no. If anything, it cost me money just as far as the amount of time I put into this. And when did you first learn about the case? Uh, How how, how did you learn about it, and and when did you learn about it? Did you read about it? Did you hear people talking about it, or what? Uh, Yeah, I um, heard about this in December of 2017. Uh, This case was all over the local news and my social media feed. Mm -hmm. I remember wishing that she would be found safe and alive, and it was really sad when it was announced that she was found dead. And then it was announced that she was found dead in her own home, uh, no less. When this case first uh, occurred, I immediately thought of Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington. Uh, Those were two young women that were abducted Mm -hmm. and later found dead. As it turns out, they were both killed by the same individual. And I remember when Molly Miller disappeared, there was a lot of talk of foul play. In fact, even her mother thought that Molly had been abducted. And then it was revealed that she had been found um, dead in her own home. There were all these unanswered questions. But the biggest one for me and for me then and now is how could she have been in her own home for three days and not have been found? And nearly two years later, I still don't have an answer for that. So did you know Molly Miller prior or any of the other people who were involved? No, I did not. I have lived in Charlottesville since 2001, and I never met her, and I did not know any of the people that I later met, including Edward Thomas. Molly and I had some Facebook friends in common, but that was it. I don't even live in the same part of the city that she did. In fact, I really was not even very familiar with the part of the city that she lived in. So how did you decide on a podcast? I mean, why not an article? Why not, you know, why, why a podcast? How, how did that come about? Uh, very good question. It's a long story. And gosh, if I wanted to, I could probably make a podcast about how um, the podcast came to be. I guess that would be like meta. I don't yeah. know what the word Pod- for that would be. Podcast about the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really kind of David Lynchian there. But um, in all seriousness, back in 2018, I posted a link on Facebook about a new development in the case, namely that protective orders had been granted to Miller's mother, fiancé, and another man against Edward Thomas.
Thomas. Thomas declared in a statement that he was Miller's lover. And I remember I wasn't surprised by that. I had read an earlier interview with him where he said she was his muse and they were in close contact. Well, after I posted that, I had a Facebook friend message me saying that he was friends with Molly Miller and knew Edward Thomas very well. And he asked me if I wanted to meet Edward Thomas, and I said yes. So the three of us met that night. The man messaged me the address, and it turned out it was Edward Thomas's house. It's a long answer, but that is how this podcast came into being. So um, you, you just you just went right on over to his house? Uh, yes, I did. And in <laughs> retrospect, I wouldn't advise hmm. meeting two total strangers at night in a place that one has never been to before, but that's what happened. I should mention that the man who reached out to me was an attorney, and for some reason, I thought that made it okay. I Googled him, and indeed, this man was an attorney, and his, um, his uh, CV checked out. But anyway, so I went over there uh, late at night, and the three of us spoke. Edward Thomas told me about his relationship with Miller and why he didn't believe it was a suicide. And then he retreated to his studio to paint. I think we spoke for approximately 15 minutes. And then after he left, I spoke to the other individual for an hour or so. Uh, And it wasn't just about Molly, but all sorts of things. And looking back, I can honestly say it was one of the most surreal nights of my life. Surreal enough to make you want to... Do a podcast. Uh, Not quite then and there. Uh, What I did was I asked a journalist friend if she might be interested in covering this. She was in D.C., so I set about um, helping to set up potential interviewees. I also interviewed uh, some people since it was easier for me to do so than her. And then her editors passed on it. They weren't interested in this case because there were no new developments. It had been closed. A suicide had been declared. But by that point, I had amassed all this information and material and thought, maybe this could be a podcast. And at the end of it, that's what happened. I'm sorry for the long answer, but (laughs) that is how this podcast uh, came into being from start to finish. So that was it, huh? Well, um, I want to tell our listeners that I did have the advantage of working at a radio station and knowing some great professionals who helped this come into being. Uh, For example, Mike, I couldn't have done this without you. (laughs) Thanks. Well, it's the truth. And I want to thank everyone who made this happen. I mean, I wrote this and produced it, but this was not something I did on my own. Natalie Jacobson deserves a special shout out because she listened to me vent when I thought about quitting this project. She was also so helpful as far as just suggestions on how to approach this. And she also did the uh, stunning artwork that uh, you see on iTunes and Spotify. So did you have any previous experience in in, uh, journalism? I had written professionally in the past. I did some investigative journalism back at college uh, way long time ago, too long ago, but it was nothing <laughs> like this. I had um, been a columnist for an online publication called Elephant Journal, but I wrote mostly about wellness in the mind-body community. I'm also an editor for a retired professor of biology, and I've been doing that for nearly a decade now, but this was very different from my previous work, and a podcast is different from a traditional news article. For instance, there's a lot more freedom, and namely, there's a lot more room to editorialize than there is in an article. Yeah, that's true. Of course, that gives some podcasts a a bad name, you know. (laughs) Well, it does, because, you know, I mean, one thing about a podcast is that 
in some ways, it can be a plus or a minus. Normally, you don't have a lot of editors. Uh, sometimes you have no editors. And sometimes you can go off in very odd directions. And that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But sometimes those traditional rules of journalism are blurred. But one rule that I made for myself is that everything had to be either uh, verified or um, corroborated. Uh, that was the one thing that I wouldn't back down from. I do think that one thing is that you have to uh, remember that everybody, even if they are telling their truth or their version of the truth, they might have different accounts and not everything necessarily fits together. Would not come as a surprise to uh, investigators, police officers and other investigative journalists. Anyways, anything that surprised you along the way? Well, Oh, wow. Um, again, that could be an episode about all the surprises that I encountered. Yes, uh, there was one thing that came up very recently, which I did not know. I did not know, for instance, that when Edward Thomas was interviewed by the police detectives, there was actually another individual at his house. And that individual happened to be the man who put together those infamous parties at his house. And the police never asked Eve so much as the name of this person or if he knew Molly Miller. And if they had asked him, and assuming if he had been truthful, he could have made it very clear that Molly was indeed in contact with more than four individuals. You know, again, that goes back to something that Edward Thomas claimed in episode two, that the police said that Molly was really only in close contact with four individuals. Well, she wasn't. She was in contact with more than four individuals, and I have photographic evidence that this man was in contact with Molly. He was there when these parties were going on, saw the pictures. And the most interesting thing about that is, so not only was this individual not questioned by the police, and to the best of my knowledge, did not offer any information about even knowing Molly when the police were there, but after the investigation was closed, uh, this individual took to social media and made a series of public posts questioning Molly's death and the verdict of suicide. In fact, uh, he went so far as to actually name an individual that he claimed was suspicious, which, you know, is a pretty bold thing to do, to name somebody, a, a non-public figure by name. And also he agreed to meet with an independent journalist uh, supposedly because he claimed he had some information. And that meeting never occurred, though. I, I spoke to the um, writer that he was supposed to meet with. And then he just disappeared. Didn't disappear from the area, but disappeared as far as saying anything about this case. And it's another thing that makes me think, okay, well, what information, if any, did this person have that he thought was relevant? And, you know, getting back, well, why didn't the police detectives, when they saw this person, who my understanding was, was clearly there, they didn't even ask, you know, who are you? Did you happen to know Molly Miller? That's one thing that sticks out in my mind. Uh, another thing that came as a surprise is that according to two of Molly's extended family members, when the police had a search for Molly, they claimed that her stepfather was basically in charge of the search, which, again, struck me as a very odd thing to do. My understanding was that police officers 
do not like it when family members, you know, get involved in investigations. And furthermore, um, the mother and the stepfather live in Roanoke. I don't have any knowledge that they ever lived in Charlottesville. So again, you know, it's a bit odd that they would be leading an investigation for their missing daughter in an area that they didn't even happen to live in. That is uh, sort of strange. You told me that this is very much a social media story. What uh, exactly did you mean by that? Well, social media played such a big role in spreading the story of Molly's disappearance. And it also played a big role in many um, rumors and claims that turned out uh, not to be true. For example, I found out that originally when Molly Miller disappeared, she was classified with the same status as a runaway which is very surprising considering she was a 31-year-old woman. But from what I read about that, originally it appears that they did not think that she was abducted. However, it seemed that at some point it was decided that possibly um, she had been abducted. And social media was full of theories as to could there be somebody else in the area abducting young women. It immediately brought back memories of um, Hannah Graham and Morgan Harrington, whom I um, mentioned earlier. And um, also when she was later found dead, there was a post by a woman who claimed to be a close friend of Molly's who claimed that Molly had been suffering from cancer, that she was in horrible pain, and that was why she had died turns out Molly did not have cancer and a couple people I spoke to who were close friends of Molly's could not recall her ever mentioning this woman at all much less that she was a close friend that Molly confided into and also I thought this was very much a social media case because um, Molly was a very active uh, user of social media she posted on Facebook quite a bit she shared pictures of her home pictures of herself and if you looked at her Facebook page you would think that she was engaged and she loved doing these home improvement projects for her house. Well, the latter appeared to be true, but the former, well, you know, that was really hard to figure out. I spoke to extended family members and friends of the couple, and they never set a date for a wedding. They had been engaged for nearly six years by the time she died. And in late 2017, she told at least two people on two separate occasions that she was no longer involved with Anson Parker. Indeed, she told one man she met a few months before she died that Parker was her roommate. She canceled plans to meet up with this man. The man's name was Josh because she said she caught a cold from Parker and that he got it from his, quote, girlfriend. I saw the text messages uh, confirming this. And lastly, that house wasn't really hers. It never was. It was solely an Anson Parker's name. And, you know, then there was the fact that she was involved with other people. And that wasn't apparent if you looked at her social media. So was one of the surprises that there were other people? Well, I, you know, I know people who are in all sorts of alternative uh, relationship arrangements, <laughs> and it's not my place to judge. However, I wondered um, just what sort of relationship she had with the fiancé and how much did he know? Uh, did he care? You know, for that matter, what sort of relationship did she have with Edward Thomas and at least one other man? I mean, you know, Edward Thomas claimed that everybody knew about their relationship, but that wasn't true. One man I interviewed who knew both Anson Parker and Edward Thomas for 20 years said that he had no idea that there was ever anything romantic between the pair until uh, Edward told him after Molly's death. 
Others said the same thing, including a woman who had known Edward Thomas for over 20 years and occasionally saw Molly at his home. She was under the assumption that they were just friends. I mean, I really wasn't interested in the personal dramas here, but I wondered if the police ever thought that these multiple relationships could have been a motive for someone to have harmed her when she was classified as missing. Mm, uh, did, it's happened before. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. And um, did they bother to talk to all the people she was in contact with? You know, and again, there were more than four people. That's one thing I keep coming back to. You know, how did they determine four people? Okay, so what would you like to see happen? like to see, uh, you know, first of all, Mike, I would like to see her extended family and her friends have some sort of closure. Most of them have questions that are still unanswered. Two of her maternal aunts met with the Commonwealth attorney after Molly died, and it didn't seem that they left uh, very satisfied. They also came up with a list of over 70 questions, and they claim they never got an answer to any of them. They have never publicly proposed a theory that was different than that of the official verdict, Rather, you know, they said that they were seeking more answers to a lot of unanswered questions. And I think that's more than reasonable. I mean, even in a suicide, even in a suicide, there is a need for a thorough investigation. And, you know, these aunts um, have suffered. They lost somebody that they clearly adored. Mm -hmm. And I think that that lack of closure and feeling like, well, my questions are going unanswered must make it very difficult to move forward. So by this time, you must have some theories, you know, of your own as to what happened to Molly Miller, right? Um, well, you know, let me preference by saying I don't know what happened to her. I That's one of the reasons why I made the podcast. I have some theories, but I'm keeping them to myself, um, at least publicly. I wanted to present this podcast with as little sensationalism as possible. And it really would have been easy for me to have gone the way of sensationalism because there was a lot of uh, material that was rather salacious. But I chose not to do so. Are there... Maybe legal reasons for not doing that, too. Or <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, some of it is legal reasons. I mean, I'll be perfectly blunt. I don't want to get sued. And I know, Mike, you don't want to get sued. Not um, so much. No, not so much. And, you know, I do have two kids that are going to be in college soon. But on a serious note, I really would like for... I really think that the biggest reason why I'm not saying this is because I don't know. But, you know, let's say M Molly Miller did commit suicide. I still want to know what triggered it. And again, why did it take three days to find her body in a 1,029 square foot home? One thing that I do want to say is that I could find no evidence that Crottom would have led her or anyone to commit suicide. I did the research and I spoke to two experts on it. And um, actually, I, I took Karata myself. Stuff doesn't have a track record of causing any serious problems, as far as I know. Uh, I, no, not that I know of. What happened when you took it? Anything? Oh, wow. Well, um, I took more than the recommended dosage, and as a result, I got a really bad stomach ache. I don't know whether you did know this, but um, actually, I tried this right before the office Christmas party we had here. Not exactly the best timing. You know, I know my method was non-scientific, so, you know, before I get dogged on for that, yeah, it wasn't. I know that this was non-scientific. Uh, I did it to see you know what it would be if I took more than the recommended dosage and all I felt was a really slight relaxation and then the nausea hit you, but, you weren't able to find anything online anywhere about crowd I'm causing anybody 
to die or to have suicidal thoughts. Nothing um, like that. No, I found that, you know, Kratom was linked with deaths when it was mixed with other drugs, mostly opiates. But it wasn't here. No, no. And, and personally, when I took Kratom, I didn't experience any hallucinations or psychotic thoughts. I don't think my thinking process was impacted at all. So what do you want people to uh, come away with after uh, listening to this podcast series? Um, what, do you, what, do you want, what do you want people to do? What do you want people to think? Well, you know, for one thing, I want them to realize that um, Molly Miller was, you know, a person. She wasn't a character in a fiction story. This was a very talented, very gifted young woman who had a lot of potential. Her artistic talent alone was incredible. And one thing I heard is repeatedly is that she was very kind to people. That was the one consistent thing I heard. And 31 is way too young to die. And this investigation into her death raises some serious questions and I know no investigation is perfect and I have had positive interactions with the Charlottesville police and have friends who are or were in law enforcement but I definitely think that anybody who is objectively looking at this case can call can walk away with the conclusion that there were some serious um, errors that were made. And sadly, Molly Miller is not the first, nor will she be the last person to be declared missing. Are there some sort of safeguards in place to make sure that these sorts of mistakes do not happen again? Mm. Has the uh, police department or the police chief reached out to you with any commentary? Well, they didn't reach out to me personally, but the Charlottesville police chief, um, Rochelle Brackney, did issue a statement, and I was very surprised by that because I would assume that the uh, Charlottesville police chief would have had more important things to do than to respond to a podcast since I'm not even a big fish in a small pond. I mean, uh, <laughs> not even on my most um, confident or delusional day would I ever think that I was even well-known here in Charlottesville. But anyway, Dr. Brackney, she issued a statement after um, CBS 19 ran a story about my podcast, and I'm just going to quote directly from the CBS 19 website. In a statement after the story aired, Charlottesville Police Chief Rochelle Brackney said that the department supports Mary McConnell, Miller's mother, and decried, quote, the constant blogging, flyers, and rumor mongering that has haunted her family over the tragic loss of Molly. We stand firmly behind the medical examiner's conclusion in this case and the cruelty that is continually inflicted upon the McConnell family and Molly's memories is beyond unspeakable, end quote. And how did you uh, respond to that? Seems like they're circling the wagons. Well, you know, Dr. Brackney is entitled to her opinion, but I want to make it clear, I had absolutely nothing to do with any flyers, nor did I ever blog or write about this before the podcast. I'm familiar with flyers that appeared around town. I saw them. I'm also familiar with a blog called Box of Chocolates, which was written by a woman based in Florida, or so she claims. And this blog and the flyers both asked questions about the investigations, but neither had anything to do with me. And everything that I said can be backed up. These aren't rumors. These are facts. And I had an attorney look over every word. So I wanted to clear that up. 
Also, um, I heard that the Commonwealth attorney commented about my podcast to one of your radio station's co-owners. I believe he said something along the lines of that he hoped we didn't get sued, but he didn't listen to it. I think he was asked, did you listen to the podcast? And he said no, that he hadn't. And I think that he wasn't intending to listen to it. And I doubt Dr. Brackney listened to my podcast either, and yet she still made a comment about it issued a statement about it would you would you like her to uh yeah you know honestly i would because i feel that the questions i raised were valid ones i would also mm-hmm. welcome um the commonwealth attorney to listen to it uh or at least that first episode you know i know it will probably never happen but if i was ever talking to both of these individuals one-on-one I would say, you know, can't we all agree that this is an odd case? Have either of you seen anything similar to it? And I really would welcome their responses, and I'm not being sarcastic. Regardless of what they happen to think of the podcast, it is a fact that this young woman was found dead in her own home three days after um, she was declared missing. The Charlottesville police issued searches for her they also used um bloodhounds tracker dogs to try and find her and yet she was in the home the entire time and you know just the part about anson parker's co-worker showing up to edward thomas's house after molly went missing and supposedly scaled a giant cliff to get his attention is beyond surreal that actually did happen i mean edward thomas provided the text to back that up i don't really understand how anybody can say that this was a typical case or how asking questions is in some ways paramount to cruelty. I, I just don't get that. Yeah, just the suicide scene seemed kind of unusual. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, one thing that a family member claimed is that they asked the Commonwealth attorney uh, if they had an estimated time of death, and supposedly they were told, well, that only happens in movies, which... Um, you know, I thought that medical examiners could come up with an estimated uh, time of death. But, you know, again, it's a, it's another very interesting puzzle piece in, in this case. Do you plan on making any more episodes or unless something comes out that's different? Are you about done with it? Well, you know, if there's any new um, revelations, I certainly will. I mean, I don't really consider this to ever really be done as long as there is new information. I consider this to be open-ended. But, you know, for now, I did what I set out to do. I wanted to tell the story of how Molly Miller went missing, how she was found, and how the official cause of death was suicide via hanging and not an overdose. And also, this is the first time that I'm aware of that the only suspect in the case, Edward Thomas, really sat down and spoke in depth to anyone, you know, about his relationship to Molly, about the events that occurred. And you uh, did reach out to the man she was living with, Parker, I believe. Uh, correct, yes. I actually... Did not want to speak with you, right? Uh, that is correct, and uh, and and neither did her mother. Um, uh, I, I sent them both letters. Um, yeah, sent, sent them letters through the through the post office. The mother responded. She um, politely declined. Uh, I never heard back from Anson Parker. Uh, and one thing I want to say uh, as we close, Mike, is the importance of journalism in covering this case. Unfortunately, one of the main reasons why you have so many people in Charlottesville that believe that Molly Miller died 
died of an overdose of kratom or a drug overdose or that she had terminal cancer has to do with the way that this was reported. I covered this again in episode one, but we had a local journalist whom you and I both know who um, cited that um, Molly had cancer and that uh, had terminal cancer. When I actually asked um, him where he got the information and if he would be willing to um, speak to me, his response was to block me on social media, which was very surprising to me. We had always had a cordial professional relationship. The cancer theory turned out to be, uh, to use a journalistic term, a total crock, right? Um, yeah, this, this young woman did not have cancer. And also uh, this journalist claimed that she was on daily medication. That was not true. No evidence uh, of that either. Uh, no evidence, no, that, that I could find. And one thing I want to say, Mike, is that journalists are human. They get things wrong. But I do feel that if you're calling yourself a journalist, you have a responsibility to acknowledge when you make a mistake. And to me, that's really bizarre that somebody who made a mistake wouldn't want to correct that. Journalism should be committed to the truth, as far as I'm concerned. Newspapers publish corrections all the time. And... TV networks, if somebody makes a mistake, they go on and they apologize for it. Absolutely. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, the station where um, he made these claims of terminal cancer have never corrected them. Never to this day. I actually checked last week. It still says that um, Molly Miller had terminal cancer. And, you know, another another interesting thing, too, is that it would be easy for her not to have been found in that house because she was, quote, small. And uh, according to the missing persons report, she was not small. She was five feet, eight inches and she was found in a closet. So as it stands right now, what is the biggest uh, outstanding question for you? Well, if you believe the official version, Molly Miller left her home and went for a walk on the evening of December 29th, uh, 2017. And the missing person flyer said that she was wearing a black sweatshirt. Well, what else was she wearing? Was she wearing jeans, leggings, sweatpants? And what about this black sweatshirt? Was it a hoodie? Was there anything written on it? Was it oversized? Did um, Anson Parker actually see her leaving the home or did he assume so because she left the room? And if she left the house, then at some point, logically, she had to return to the house and hang herself in the closet without her fiancé noticing. But that's assuming that he was there the whole time. Did he ever leave the home? Where was their dog in all this? I confirmed that the dog, um, whose name was Luca, had been neutered earlier in the week and had been picked up from the vet on Thursday, which was the day before Molly went missing. To the best of my knowledge, nobody knows where the dog was. And by all accounts, she adored that dog. And surely my understanding is, is the dogs can smell things that humans cannot. Perhaps Luca would have noticed that something was off. That's, um, that's not uncommon for animals to do that. My understanding is that her aunts have asked where um, the dog was in all this, and they never got an answer. So that is a mystery. Okay, well, the question I asked was what your biggest outstanding question was, and I'm not sure you answered me directly, but it sounds like your outstanding question is why, why the hell the authorities did not investigate some of the issues that you just went over there. I guess in a nutshell you could say that. So if anyone has any questions or maybe even any information, 
that you could run with. How, how does somebody get in touch with you? The easiest way to get in touch with me is via email. There is a Gmail account just for this podcast. It is missingmollypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's missingmollypodcast at gmail.com. And I would welcome any feedback. I would welcome any sort of information. Just any thoughts about the podcast so far. I would ask, my only caveat would be to please be respectful. Please don't resort to ad hominem attacks. And please don't send me spam. That's my only criteria. Okay, well, that sounds pretty basic. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for listening to Missing Molly, an original podcast concerning the early 2018 death of Charlottesville resident Molly Miller. Opinions expressed have been solely those of the participants. Missing Molly was written and produced by Kimberly Lowe, with engineering and editing from Mike Friend. Original artwork from Natalie Jacobson. Music composed and performed by Sam Whedon. Digital assistance is from John Taylor. With special thanks to Todd Ely, Lori Goodbody, Stephanie Bottoms, Josh Bontrager, Tina Hicks, Courtney Stewart, Lloyd Snook, and Edward Thomas. For more information, you can contact Missing Molly Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>